we're going through the book of Acts. We're in Lesson 19. We're going to continue in our study in the book of Acts. Now, up to this point, we've studied how the church started, the gospel going to the Samaritans. We've seen the conversion of Paul, which is actually what we looked at in Lesson 18. Where we're going to start off in Chapter 19 is we're going to look today about the discipleship of Paul. We're going to talk about Paul, the new Christian. And it's, it's going to be, I think, quite amazing and quite interesting for us to look at. So we're going to look at 12 verses today in chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 20 through 31. So look with me, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that the Jesus is the Christ. And after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by the night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Let's talk about the discipleship of Paul. First thing we're going to see is Paul's spiritual growth. After Paul's conversion, he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues of Damascus. All right, let me just stop for a moment. Think about for a moment when you first became a Christian. When you first got saved. Were you ready to get up and start preaching? You're probably saying, I'm not ready to get up and preach now. Were you ready to do that? Paul was. Is that amazing? Let me explain to you why he was able to do that. First of all, Paul was a Pharisee. He was steeped in the Scriptures. He was already taught in the Scriptures. He probably taught many times in the synagogue as a Jew. So he's ready. He's prepared. The only thing, you know, he's... he's he, when he's communicating, he's commuting everything but one thing, that Jesus is the Messiah. It's like the missing piece in his theology. 
Now that that peace has been filled with an understanding of who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, he's ready to preach the complete message. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the implication is, is as soon as he received his sight and was baptized, he immediately went to the synagogue and began to preach to them. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? We're not talking a few weeks. We're not talking a couple of years. We're talking immediately. The scripture says immediately, as soon as possible, he goes and begins to teach and preach. And here's what he did. He proclaimed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He proclaimed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Now listen, let's stop for a moment. I want you to notice, I just want to remind you up to this point, what is the message of the gospel? Anybody want to tell me? What's the message of the gospel? Well, in particular, I heard you, Gene. What did you say? Jesus. Jesus is the message of the gospel. Salvation through Jesus. But Jesus is the message. Do you understand? Now, stop for a moment. The message of the gospel, which is what we've got to understand, is not a morality. Because by far the Jews were pretty moral people. Do you understand? They live according to the law. The message of the gospel is not a political situation. Because their focus was, you know what I'm saying? If they preached a political message, they would get killed by the Romans. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they would be seen as rebellious. Their message from the very beginning is one thing, one thing only, and it's still going to get them killed. Jesus as the Son of God. You understand what I'm saying? That's what the message of the church has to be today. The message of the church isn't our vision of America. It isn't this. It isn't that. It's Jesus Christ, period. Do you understand? That's what the message of the church is, all right? So he proclaims Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Now, I want you to notice the amazement now, and and obviously so. Those who heard Saul were amazed at at his message since he came to destroy the Christians. Wouldn't that blow your mind? Hey, if you're, if you're a Jew in Damascus and you heard, hey, there's this big gun coming up from Jerusalem. He's going to deal, deal with these pesky Christians. He's been capturing them. He's been getting rid of them. And all of a sudden, here's the big gun. He shows up in the synagogue and the message he's bringing is the message that these pesky Christians are preaching. Wouldn't you be like, huh? You'd be amazed too, wouldn't you? Because that doesn't make any sense. This is a guy who was known to what? Yeah, persecute and kill Christians. So this is amazing, isn't it? So they're amazed. But then I want you to notice something. Here's what it says about about Saul, or we, we call him Paul. Okay, Saul's his Jewish name. Paul would be his Roman name. The writer tells the readers that Saul's preaching increased in strength and power. The more he matured, I think the word there, look at verse 22, he increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelled in Damascus, proving that Jesus Christ is the Lord. How did he increase in strength? Well, it wasn't just physical strength that's talking about there. It's strength that comes from his understanding of who Jesus is. Strength from his understanding of who Jesus is. The stronger he got in his faith, 
the bolder he began to preach. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I think there's a good point there. When you first come to Christ, would you say you're pretty strong in your faith? Okay, Bruce says no. Anybody agree with Bruce? Okay. One of the most common things that new Christians struggle with is an assurance of their what? Salvation, right? Normally it's new Christians who struggle with that. That's a form of doubting, but that type of doubting, you're questioning whether or not you truly know him, all right? When you get older in your faith, what increases hopefully in your life? Your faith, right? Your understanding. The more you begin to understand who God is, even the more you begin to understand how he operates, the stronger you are when you face life. So for instance, when you're younger, you believe God can do anything, and some actually, when they're younger in faith, believe that God's going to keep you from all kinds of problems. Well, the older you are in your faith in Jesus, you recognize, you begin to realize that God doesn't necessarily keep you from problems. He may actually bring them. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that not true? And what does the problems, what, what happens through the problems, the trials? James tells us, James chapter 1, yeah, it increases our faith, increases our patience. You understand you grow stronger in your understanding of who Jesus is. What we're seeing here is is that Paul is growing stronger in his influence of Christ. Therefore, it's being reflected in what? His teaching. Do you understand? His teaching. All right? So so Paul's preaching increased in power and strength and power. The Jews in Damascus were baffled and confounded by Saul's teaching about Jesus. So here he is. They're probably trying to answer him, trying to show how Jesus is not what he's saying, but Paul's actually got a great understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures anyhow. He's he's blowing them away. They can't answer his arguments. You ever been somewhere where you couldn't answer the person's arguments? You see that a lot in the political scene, don't you? When you watch the talk shows, people bring up an issue, and, and when the person can't address the issue, he's confounded by the other person's added, by the other person's answers. You know, the next thing happens. Well, here's what happens. After a period of time, the Jews plotted to get rid of, rid of Saul by killing him. In political circles, you killed him by changing, by talking bad about them, by insulting them and slandering them. Because you no longer have an argument to make with him. Well, their, their way of dealing with it back then was, we'll just simply get rid of him. We'll just kill him. We can't answer him, we'll just kill him. Okay? So they're plotting to get rid of him. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because you might be saying, whoa, whoa wait a minute, where's the police in this? No, because you can go to jail for a conspiracy to murder, right? Where's the police in this? I need you to understand... This is 2,000 years ago. It's a little bit different. Yes, the Romans are in control. Yes, the Romans are doing whatever. But to be honest with you, they're interested in keeping stability of the nation. They're not into policing little bitty spats. And people would be killed. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, Sam gets mad at me. He could take me out and nobody would care. Do you know what I'm saying? That's the way it was back there. And especially if you've got a group of people mad at somebody, mob rules. Do you know understand what a mob rules is? It still happens in parts of the world today. 
You know, I remember when, when I uh, spent the summer in, in Kenya, East Africa, it was very common to read in the paper about a thief, you know, would steal from somebody, somebody would, would yell thief, and then everybody would turn on the thief, everybody, and grab him, and they would literally kill him because they didn't like crime. But that's mob rules, vigilanteism, Okay. And, and so this is kind of the attitude that's going on here. So after a period of time, the Jews plotted to get rid of Saul by killing him, getting rid of him. So Saul becomes aware of their plot to kill him. You've got to wonder what happened. Maybe a spear flew by or something. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, they're after me. Okay, well, he becomes aware. Maybe somebody told him, hey, don't go to the square today. They're out for you. So he becomes aware of the plot to kill him. And it says this, the Jews, listen to me, they watched the gates of the city day and night for an opportunity to kill Saul. So what it is, the gates of the city, that would be like the main central location. Everything happened there. People would come into the town. The market would be there and so forth. And so basically they had people just watching if Saul was there. And if Saul showed his face there, chances are they were going to kill him. Do you understand? Chances are they were going to kill him. So here's what the, what happens. The disciples in Damascus, that is the Christians in Damascus, helped Saul to escape over the city wall at night. They put him in a basket. Now, if you've been in Sunday school, children's Sunday school, you've heard the story of Paul being let down over the wall in a basket. How many of you have heard that story? Okay. Yeah, some of you have. Okay. Uh, so he was. He was let down in a basket over the wall at night. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Because remember, where, is Paul originally from Damascus? Is he originally from Damascus? Did he come from Damascus? No, he went to Damascus from where? Where did he go to Damascus from? Where was he wrecking havoc on the church at? I hear some mumbling. Jerusalem. That's right. So he was the big shot in Jerusalem, right-hand man of the high priest, eradicating the church. Okay? So the people in Jerusalem only know of Saul as being a what? Persecutor of the church. They don't know anything about his what? Conversion. The last thing they knew about Saul is that he was going to Damascus to chain up people and bring them back to prison in Jerusalem. Isn't that right? So look with me. Verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, do you blame them? No. No. I mean, here's the guy that maybe changed your grandma, threw her in jail. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Or your brother or your, your husband or your wife. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Threw him in jail and now he's wanting to join and have fellowship with you guys? Can we break bread together? What would you do? Well, I know what some of you would do, but I don't want to, I don't, you know, try to soften your answer a little bit. Well, I mean, would you want him to join you? No. So Saul came to Jerusalem and attempted to join the disciples there. 
Only natural. He's a Christian now. He's not accepted by the Jews. So he's going to attempt to join the other Christians in Jerusalem. All right? However, the Christians in Jerusalem did not believe that he had converted. They're probably thinking, this is a trick. You're just trying to expose who we are so you can throw more of us in what? Prison or kill us. Now, here's the interesting thing. Now, remember Barnabas? If you go all the way back to chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 36, remember there was a fellow there by the, whose name was Yossi, but was, which was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the company of the country of Cyprus. Okay, so we've got this guy named Barnabas who is held in high esteem by the apostles. Okay, so notice now when you come to verse 27, Barnabas took Saul and vouched for him before the apostles. So he's like brought into the inner circle by somebody who has credibility. Do you know what I'm saying? Who has credibility here? Saul? No. Who has credibility? Barnabas. So Barnabas took Saul and vouched for him before the apostles. And so Saul told them about seeing Jesus and his preaching in Damascus. Now, I can almost guess, I want you to hear me, it's, it's not brought up because this is just a historical text. You're only going to see what the Holy Spirit wants you to see here in this text. But knowing human beings, do you think they checked out his story? Do you think they checked out his story? It wouldn't be hard to check it out, would it? Now, they didn't have telephone or texting or email to contact Damascus, but I'm sure there were Christians that traveled in between Damascus and Jerusalem all the time. Do you think they would have checked out his story? Probably. Hey, tell me, was there a guy named Saul there? Did he have this happen? Was he preaching there? Tell me the story. Do you know what I'm saying? So he was vouched for. He was vouched for. So here's what happens. He's accepted. Paul freely joined with believers in Jerusalem as he was accepted by them. All right, now stop. That, to me, is an amazing verse of Scripture. Verse 28 is an amazing verse of Scripture. Why do you think it's an amazing verse of Scripture? Look at verse 28. He's accepted by the church in Jerusalem. Where do you think he is? We got coffee in the back. We can start brewing some Samaritan, huh? They forgave him for his yeah, they, forgiveness is shown there. Do you understand what I'm saying? The people in the church in Jerusalem, do you think they were personally touched by the persecution of Saul? Friends, relatives, being taken away, they're probably still in prison or dead. Now here's the guy who did it. In your midst gathering with you to worship, wants to gather with you to worship. What, what This is why I think this is an amazing verse. This tells you about 
the transformation of Jesus Christ in a person's life, that they would be willing to what? Accept him. The word is accept, isn't it? Accept and receive him. Do you understand what I'm saying? That tells you about the grace of Jesus in a person's life. That you would be willing to forgive even those who brought harm to your family. Or even you. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what's amazing to me. This is the power of God's Spirit working through the, through the early church. I think this is what's amazing here. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, we, I mean, we wouldn't even think of that. We would say, go down the road to another church. Wouldn't we? Do you know what I'm saying? Because, we, I mean, I can't, we can't even fathom being confronted with what they're confronted with, can we? That doesn't happen every day in our churches, right? This is what the church in Jerusalem was facing. So he freely joined with the believers in Jerusalem, and he was accepted by them. Now, now this, he didn't just join them. He continues doing what he did in Damascus, which is what? Preaching. Saul boldly preached about Jesus as he argued with the Hellenists. Remember, Paul is a Hellenist. Remember, he is a Greek-influenced Jew. Remember, that was who martyred Stephen, and he was consenting to that. So now he's preaching to, to the Hellenist Jews that are like him. Do you understand? He's preaching to them so that they hear the gospel. He's boldly preaching to the very people who were helping him persecute Christians. Isn't that amazing? He's boldly preaching to them Christ. Okay? He's arguing with them, showing them that Jesus is the Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. Here's what happens again when you can't answer somebody. You just get rid of him, and that's what they do. The Hellenists attempted to kill Saul. The Hellenists attempted to kill Saul. Here's what I want you to see. He escapes now from Jerusalem. Not in a basket, though, okay? When the believers discovered the plot, they helped Saul to escape to Tarsus. Now, I'm going to show you something. Here's a point here. This is just a little note for you when you're reading your Bible, okay? When you're reading your Bible, especially when you read the New Testament or even the Old Testament, if you look at verse 30, it says that uh, the brethren found him and they brought him down to Caesarea. But when you look at the Bible map in the back of your book, it's to the north, to the north of Jerusalem to the northeast of Jerusalem. How did they bring him down when he's actually up? Okay, well, I want you to understand, the way they wrote and how they spoke was not in terms of the way we would look at a map. They viewed it in terms of typography. Jerusalem is on a mountain. Okay, it's on a hill. And and everyone has to come up up to Jerusalem. No matter if you're in the north or the south or the east or the west, you go up to Jerusalem. So in their mind, if I'm going to go to Caesarea, which is in the northeast, I'm going to go down to Caesarea. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to, that would be like if our church was located on Rockton Mountain. 
And we would say, we're going to go down into Penfield or down into, do, do, do you understand, down into Dubois or down into to Clearfield. Do you understand what I'm saying? Literally, you go down into Clearfield, right? Okay, that's a nice ride down there, okay? And that's what, that's the point. So when you read something, when it talks about going down or going up, it's not in terms of the compass, okay? It's in terms of typography of the way of the lay of the land. Now, so here we see they help him get to Caesarea and then ultimately get to Tarsus, okay? Ultimately get to Tarsus, which is where I, he spent many years. So we'll talk about that later when we get further in the book of Acts. Now, verse 31 is an interesting verse. Look with me. Then the churches throughout all Judah, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Okay, here's what I want you to see. Even in spite of the persecution, God's still at work. This is the point that's being made here in this verse. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even in spite of things not going well, God's still at work. The churches at this time were at peace and were strengthened. That's amazing to me. See, we get all out of whack today about what's happening in the country and what's happening in the world and what's going to happen to the church. Listen, who's ultimately in control of what happens to the church? Yeah, God is, period. Not anybody else. God is. Do you understand? And, and, is, and, and can anybody, any ruler of the world, any ruler of any nation, any group of people, any political party, any law, change what God wants to do? No, you need to grasp that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the churches at this time, at this time, during this time period, when Saul gets saved and, and you know, he's preaching and everything, when he was, even before, when he was person, God was still in control. And the churches were at peace and were strengthened. We need to recognize that, okay? Here's the other thing. This is, I want to spend a little bit of time before, because we got five minutes before we close. The church grew as believers walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is what I think is amazing. So let me talk about this. Even just reading it again this morning. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. What do you think it means to walk in the fear of the Lord? Anybody here? Okay, all right, do you hear what Bruce said? Bruce, speak up, because there's some people who are are craning their... Walking with respect to how you know the Lord wants you to walk and in reverence to God. Okay, anybody else want to add to that? What do you think it means to walk in the fear of the Lord? Bruce gave a good answer, okay? I'm going to tell you what it was like. I'll give you an everyday illustration out of life. George Cannon, when he grew up in the house, I'm, I'm a junior, George Ray Cannon Jr., when he grew up in the house of George Ray Cannon Sr., went out in Columbia to school, to the mall, to McDonald's, okay, and, and tried to act in a way because I was walking in fear of my daddy finding out. Did you understand what I'm saying? That was a big deal. That, cause if daddy found out, 
then there was what? Trouble for me. Do, 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 do you understand what I'm saying? How many of you remember walking in the fear of your daddy? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? When we talk about walking in the fear of the Lord, I think it's the very same thing. You're walking with respect to recognizing that you have the ultimate daddy now. God the Father. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And you're going to walk and live your life in light of that fear. I think that's what's missing a lot from today in Christianity in North America is a fear of the Lord. Do you understand? So a fear of the Lord. So that's the first thing. So a fear of the Lord, you take serious how you're living, right? Okay. First part, walking in the fear of the Lord. But then I want you to notice something. There was one other component here. It's not just the fear of the Lord because a lot of churches... You know, especially legalistic churches, they teach a lot about trying to keep you in control by talking about the fear of the Lord, right? You got to do this, because if you don't do this, God's going to smack you down. Okay. But that's not the only part of how they walk. Notice, how else do they walk? Not just in the fear of the Lord, but in the what? Comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now that is also great, isn't it? Why, why would it be a comfort? Because when I mess up, who comforts me that I'm forgiven? Holy Spirit. When I go through difficulty, who comforts me? Holy Spirit. When I face opposition for what I believe, who comforts me? Holy Spirit. Do you understand? The church exhibited not just a fear of God living right, but also lived in the comfort of God's Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? There was a balance there. What happened? What does the text say happened with that church? Look at verse 31, last word. And they what? Multiplied. What, that they grew. Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's, here's my point. I'm going to explain it to you. It's not everybody, but there are people who God is working in their hearts, and they need both. They need to find a God that they can live in fear of and respect of but one who will also bring them what? Comfort to their lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and we need to be a church where both is exhibited, where we fear God, but we also walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay?